We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Mike's on. He's ready to go. On the fan. New York Sports Radio. Mike's on. Mike's on. We come to you on this last Friday in uh, June, uh, brought to you by Casamigos Tequila, as always, brought to you by those who drink it, uh, and without question, a lot going on, but the story of the day without any question is Phil Mickelson, lefty who is just 50 years of age. He turned 50 uh, a couple of days ago, just on the, uh, I believe, the 16th of June. So here's Mickelson, 50 years old, and he now has rested the lead at the uh, Travelers. Obviously, they all bring this course to its knees. Uh, If you shoot more than 65, you lose ground. But Mickelson shot 64 yesterday. He followed up with a 63 today. He has a 13. He's 13 on the par, which leads the tournament and will lead the tournament into the weekend. So the ageless one, Phil Mickelson, who is always, always there to provide a thrill, has provided a bunch on Thursday and Friday up in uh, the TPC course up in River Highlands, up in Connecticut and Cromwell, uh, and is 13 under par and will will without question be one of the big stories tonight and tomorrow as he goes into Saturday action with the lead. He is being tracked by, obviously, round one leader Mackenzie Hughes, who went out and had a struggle of her second round because he shot 60 the first round. He's got another par here in the second round. He's 12 on the par. He's still on the course. Uh, Gordon's 12 under. And at 9 under are some dangerous players, including uh, Rory McIlroy at 9 under. Leishman's playing 18, so he could go to 10 under. He's 9 under. He's one of my picks for the weekend, and he is going to go. He could go to 10 under. He's right now 9 under, playing 18. Todd and Steele and Shoffley are 9 under, and a host at 8 under uh, who are all still in the tournament, including uh, one of my other picks, Answer, who has been playing very well, including DeChambeau uh, and uh, Zach Johnson. Nah, Streelman, um, Hovland, a lot of players. And then at seven under, you have guys like Dustin Johnson who are still in it. But you're going to have to go out if you're Cantley or Johnson and you're seven under. You're going to have to go out and really shoot a big round on Saturday. Again, I don't know if Phil can do four rounds of this. It's not easy for him to put four rounds together anymore, but right now playing electric golf, playing brilliantly uh, over two days. You knew they were going to put this score in the 20s, just like last week. Listen, they bring these courses to their knees. This is also the second shortest course on the tour, which doesn't matter to Phil because he's a long hitter anyway. But 
they are obviously uh, tearing the course up, and they'll continue to tear it up over the weekend. Uh, the winning score will probably be somewhere around 20 under par, maybe even more, maybe 23 under par. Who knows? Uh, we'll see how low they go. Low they go. But uh, the fun part is McElroy's in there. Uh, Shoffley's in there. A bunch of other guys in there. But the leader is the one and only uh, Phil Mickelson at 13 under par. Okay. You had another golfer on the course test positive today. He and then his playing mate both left. Okay. So McCarthy tested positive. Corley played with McCarthy. They both withdrew. So they're both out. Uh, So that makes seven for the week up at the golf. The NBA tested 302 players. 16 tested positive. Uh, Silver said, listen, nothing is risk-free. Nothing is for sure in this thing. And you can sure tell that. Clemson added 14 more players, which means 37 players have tested positive at Clemson football. I mean, every day it's more and more and more. And it does put a lot of these sports. It really puts every one of them into some shadow of doubt as can they get through the training camps, which will be moving into high gear soon. And then the starts of the years that are going to be coming in the month of July. So as you get through the next weekend, 4th of July weekend, after that you can start to zero in on sports, which will be coming your way. You still have golf. You still have horse racing. But then the team sports are going to try and make a comeback, and we'll see if they can make it back. And under what uh, rules they come back, under what protocols they come back, how much of the virus, they're going to get some positives, but how much can they withstand That's really what this is about. How much can these leagues take? What is their tolerance level? What is the threshold that they can live with as these sports unfold and try and get back onto the field in the case of the NBA to finish the season, in the case of the NHL to finish the season, in the case of Major League Baseball to try to start and get some semblance of a season in, although 60 games is a little bit of a farce. But, hey, it's better than nothing. And it will get you, they hope, to a postseason. And football sits in the wings, college football with questions to answer, and obviously the NFL waiting to see what's going to happen more than anything else, waiting to see what's going to happen. So the only one left on the course now is Hughes, who is on the leaderboard. He is playing 18. Otherwise, it's Mickelson, Gordon, Hughes, McElroy, Shoffley, Leishman are all nine under, Steele, Todd, and then the eight under is led by DeChambeau. Uh, and, that's wh- and Dustin Johnson leads the sevens, and that's where we are as we head to the weekend at the TPC up at River Highland, the Travelers. Uh, and again, a 50-year-old superstar by the name of Phil Mickelson leads the tournament, which gives them a very big headline and gives them a major attraction for television on Saturday. People will be waiting at 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon to turn their sets on and see if Phil can take them into the weekend. So if he can lead it on Saturday and then be right in the mix or lead it on Sunday, you have a very big weekend with Phil Mickelson leading the way. Very uh, And let's be honest, unexpectedly leading the way in this tournament right now. Uh, you had some players who, you know, uh, you expected big things out of who did not have uh, big weeks. Now, the cut's going to be at either three or four. We're not sure yet. Uh, you have some guys at three who will be on edge, uh, including uh, Bubba Watson, who's won it three times and who is uh, three under par. Uh, and then you have some guys who clearly did not have big weeks who were named players, including 
Uh, Morikawa, who misses a cut, uh, had not missed a cut yet. He, he did not play well in this tournament. He was three over par. That's not playing well on these courses. You have uh, uh, Justin Thomas shooting over par both days, 71-71 and gone. Kisner gone. Um, Fratelli, who played well last week, didn't make it. Schwartzel didn't make it. Justin Rose didn't make it. List didn't make it. Fitzpatrick didn't make it. And there's a bunch of two under who will not make it. And then we get to the threes and we just don't know. And in the group at the threes are Finau, Bubba Watson, And then you have some guys at four like Spieth and Reed and guys like that. It looks like the fours are okay. We're not sure about the threes yet because four takes you through 50 players. We'll see exactly what the cut line is. Either three or four will believe it'll be. We'll see what they say, uh, and we'll see if the threes get in, uh, and that's where we are as we head to the weekend. We're going to talk some um, – some baseball with Ron Darling in just a minute. We'll take a quick break, and we'll come back with him right after that. All right, we're back, and uh, hopefully as the weeks go by, we'll uh, get a break here, and some of these sports will get back, and they won't get closed down before they ever get started, and that's what everyone's hoping about, including baseball, which they believe we're going to target to July the 24th. We'll see what happens there. We welcome in Ron Darling, who you'll all hear soon enough uh, if things move in the right direction. Ron, uh, how you doing? I'm doing great, Mike. I'm sure a lot of people are happy that uh, they haven't had to hear me, but uh, I'm coming back. Oh, no, they're all missing you, Ron. They want you to come <laughs> back. First of all, I mean, from what you've heard and what yeah. you believe your role will be and considering what you've gone through health-wise, are you comfortable with everything? Um, well, am I comfortable? That's a, that's a great question right off the bat. Um, I, I would say that um, I've been more comfortable over a lot of different things. This is, certainly doesn't make me 100% comfortable, but... You know, Mike, this is kind of what we do. And, uh, you know, I, I call games and the, and the players play games. And, uh, you know, I, I thought uh, I heard a quote from Adam Silver, or read a quote from Adam Silver uh, today saying that, you know, we are going to be playing sports with the virus. I mean, we've got to learn to play sports with the virus out there. And I guess that's kind of what we're all going to be doing because people are going to get sick. And, um, you know, you've, you've got to make your own personal decision. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's what I do. I call games. Now, you will probably, uh, what I've, I've heard so far is you yeah. guys will probably be up in the booth and then you won't be on the road with the team. You'll be calling it from a studio, right? Yeah, they, they want to eliminate, uh, you know, as many moving parts and, and people traveling, of course. So we'll be calling the home games from City Field. Right. And, and, Mike, I think what we're going to do is we're going to be calling the away games from City Field. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Okay, so yeah, you'll be in the so, same place for both. Okay. Yeah, so it'll be the truck out there in the booth, and we'll just, uh, I, I guess we'll do like old-time radio. We'll have, uh, you know, drums and uh, <laughs> yes. whatever that makes noise. Yeah, like the old days uh, when they used to recreate the games, you know, Les Kiter and those guys, absolutely. Right. But, but so that's before your time, Ron, so you shouldn't even know about that stuff. All right, uh, but Ron's a good historian, so he does. All right, let me get into it from the standpoint of the team. Yeah. Uh, put yourself back as a player. What do you think the play is? The player's trepidation uh, more occupational, or is it more about health? 
Um, I don't think it's occupational. I think, uh, you know, the guys for the most part um, are, are going to be ready to go. Now, you're certainly going to have outliers, guys that uh, have said they've done a lot and have done really very little uh, during this time. Right. That's, but that's always the case. It doesn't matter what profession it is. Uh, that's always going to be the case. But for the most part, I think the guys are going to be ready to go, and I think you're going to have uh, a surprisingly A-type product on the field right away. Really Interesting. Do. Okay. Um, but as far as the health, do you think the players have a hell? Do you think they have a very heavy uh, feeling about the risk here, or do you think it's not as pronounced because of their age? Um, well, I, I, I think uh, no. I, I think because of their age, and uh, of course, you know the health. Uh, that they're in, other than people that are, you know, have some pre-existing conditions. Right. I think they they will they will feel uh, pretty confident that as far as the baseball is concerned, and I'm talking about the travel, uh, going to the ballpark, all of those things. I think are going to be under the protocol. I saw the protocol; it's very extensive, very thorough. So I think that's going to be great. The only problem, Mike, is how serious the ball players take it when they go home. How serious do their families take it uh, during the day? That is going to be the big, uh, um, uh, you know, that's that's what's going to change whether uh, people get sick or a lot of people get sick. Right, and that's what has happened with, say, Clemson football or some of the golfers is that they went out in the community uh, when they weren't playing golf or weren't playing football, and that's uh, that's obviously some of the issues. That's why you had 37 players test positive uh, uh, for Clemson football already, 37 players. Uh, So, I mean, amazingly, uh, what you do with the rest of your time is going to be critical, obviously. Um, But from a pitching standpoint, let me start with starting pitchers. Okay. Uh, is it spring training like, or will this be very different than spring training like in preparation? I, I, I think it'll be uh, a, a, a little of each. Uh, it'll be spring training like, absolutely, because uh, you know uh, teams are going to get their pitches ready like they always have traditionally. But I do think it's going to be on the individual pitcher, um, whoever that is, to be able to look themselves in the mirror and say, "Hey, uh, how much did I do?" How ready am I to go? And I've got to be able to uh, say to myself, occasionally I might have to pull back on the throttle. Um, I, I think that it takes a real strong personality, a very bright person to, to do that, um, because uh, you know the, your inclination is to rush, 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 and be ready. And that's just the opposite thing uh, that you can do. I think you really have to uh, measure yourself, wake up in the morning, how do you feel, where do you have pain, this or that, and and move yourself into a place where you are really concentrating, if you're DeGrom, on July 23rd or 24th. That's that's your uh, look, to, And I think that uh, with the pitcher's uh, knowledge of himself and, of course, the team taking care of them, you know, you might see some five, six innings. Um, or you might you might see a guy like DeGrom cruising, but his pitch counts up and leaving after four and two-thirds. That That could happen. In uh, in this game, the first couple of weeks, we're talking with Ron Dong. You know, Ron, we always hear about team pitching depth and how much pitching an organization has. This year, there are going to be more pitches that are going to be called on. There are going to be more pitches that are going to be utilized with these rosters. So, pitching depth is going to be at a premium. How much do you think that will be different team to team, or do you think when you're getting into the 14th and 15th pitcher that are going to be carried, you think the quality will differ team to team, or you think it will be very comparable team to team? No, I I think it it, it certainly will differ. 
The one thing that won't change, though, Mike, is that, and you know, I, probably a lot of people disagree with me on this one, but for a majority uh, or, or for a myriad of reasons, um, every team, let's say they have 15 pitchers uh, going into this thing. There's going to be 30 players on the roster when you play each and every game in the first couple of weeks. If you have 15 pitchers, Mike, realistically, 10 of them are major league pitchers. And I say that not, not because the other five pitchers are not good. We're talking about they could have, uh, it could be an older pitcher who's not quite ready. It could be a younger pitcher who hasn't gotten enough seasoning. It could be a pitcher pitching with injury. Um, my, my knowledge of the game is, is that it doesn't matter how many added pitchers you add. There's really 10 guys you can count on, and that'll always be the case. So um, it's going to get down to, you know, how strong you are, how strong you are with those 10, and the next two, maybe three guys, um, are, are they, you know, are they 4A? Are they Major League? Are they AAA? Um, that, I think the teams that have, uh, you know, Detroit, teams that have struggled the last couple of years, they, when they go to the well, they will probably have AAA guys, you know, guys that aren't as ready. Uh, the good teams will have guys that will be able to get out at the major league level. We're talking about Ron Dahl. You know, Ron, I've always felt that uh, if I owned a team, uh, I would put a premium on having the right guy in a pitching coach job because, to me, he can be invaluable. I mean, Dave Duncan was worth his weight in gold when he was in the league. He was more valuable than the manager. I mean, so to me, it's like having that great defensive coordinator. All right, maybe he's not a head coach temperament-wise. Maybe he likes the role that he's in. But to me, right now, this year, the most important guy, I think, on almost every team is the pitching coach on how he can get a staff ready and, and get a staff you know, pitching well under these conditions. You know, Mike, uh, that is a great point. You know, when you think about baseball, uh, the hitting instructors uh, are, are less now. And why is that? Almost all of these uh, young guys have their own hitting coaches um, that they uh, go to uh, during the season and the off season to work with. So the hitting coach is not as important, but the pitching coach still, the day-to-day nurturing these pitchers through the, the, the mental toughness that is, to, to play a season, and even this truncated season, uh, there's going to be so much, not only on the pitching coach, um, to, to work with these guys and get them where they are 100%. But, Mike, if a guy is off a little bit, uh, last year DeGrom, what, in the first maybe six or seven starts, had an ERA three and a half, uh, close mm-hmm. to four. They, uh, you can't really afford uh, Jacob DeGrom not to be excellent the entire year. Um, so you're going to have to, if someone's struggling, who's one of your top-tier uh, pitchers, you're going to have to tweak it in a way and get him right quicker than you would have to, of course, over a 162-game season. If you lose six or seven games in a row, which happens to most teams, Mike, over the course yep. of a long season, if you do that over a 60-game season, that's like losing 20 in a row. No, devastating. And that's yeah. why fast starts are going to be imperative, which is going to put a lot of pressure on pitching coaches to have their guys ready. Do you think it's going to put more pressure on the starters or a lot more pressure on the bullpen? I, I think it's going to be uh, a lot more pressure on the starters uh, because the bullpen is interchangeable in a way. And the reason I say the starters is because what staff gets up to speed quicker uh, or quick enough because let's think of the Mets, you know, or, or any team you're, you're talking about. You know, some of their biggest strengths, the Washington Nationals, are their starting pitching. Um, if uh, Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg are getting 15 outs a game, that's not going to help the Nationals. As soon as they can get them up to speed where they're getting 21 outs a game, where their best pitchers are out there for the longest period of time, 
those teams are going to be the ones that have a chance to get to you know, 35 to 40 wins. So when a 60-game season, are you going to push these guys to go longer early? Are we going to see teams push their key starters to earlier in the season than we normally would? Um, I, I, I would if that's your strength. Now, there's going to be some teams who use openers. But don't have that. But let's say the teams that do have the good guys, are you think they're going to push those guys early this year? Because it's only 60 games. You want to get out fast if you can help it. I, I would. I, I know that that's counterintuitive to health and all those kind of things, but what are you trying to do here? I mean, you're trying to win, right? You're trying yep. to get in the postseason, and, and the only way to do that is to make sure your best players are playing all the time. We're also going to see it on the guys playing every day. I mean, you know, who's going to take a day off? can't take any days off. You know, like, um, you know, in the past, you've, you've had guys that say, well, you know, I play six days a week or five days a week. I'd like a, a blow here or there. But uh, now I think that you've got to have the mindset, if you're an elite player, that you have to play 60 games or close to it. Well, you look at it, you look at it this way. If you're, if you're 5 and 10 after 15 games, I mean, you're up against it. You've already yeah. put yourself in a deep hole. You don't want to be five games under 500 in this season. You really don't. You don't want to be, on, you don't want to be five games under 500 at any point in this thing. It, it, it's, too, it, it's too hard to come back. It's going to take you 10 games just to get back from that. Well, I think the Nationals last year were 19 and 31 after 50 games. You wouldn't so overcome that. You can't yeah. overcome that. That's impossible. There's, there's, yes. There's no chance. I mean, you might be able to tread water uh, for the first right. 50 games at 10 and 10, but you can't do much less than that because uh, what, what's going to happen, Mike, is that you're going to have teams that aren't over the 162-game season a good team. But they're going to get off to a quick start. They're going to maybe have a young team. Let's say the Chicago White Sox. Right? Well, it's funny yeah. you mention them because I asked two people to give me in baseball teams that they thought could jump out that aren't that good and hide. And the two teams people gave me were the White Sox and the Texas Rangers. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, remember the Rangers last year had a great first half under Chris Woodward, their manager, and then kind of faulted at the end. So they got off to a quick start. And then the White Sox have talent galore. And if they start believing in themselves a year or two early, uh, you know, they, they could really surprise you. So, you know, we're going to have teams that over 162 game schedule might not traditionally be able to stay with the pack, but anyone, I, I mean anyone, we're going to have out of the 10 teams to make the postseason, there'll be two where you're going to shake your head and say, really? They're in the postseason? That is going to happen. Hey, you jump out 10-2, and two, you're in pretty good shape in this thing. You really are. I mean, if you jump out 10-2, and two, which is going to be one-fifth of the season, that's already putting one-fifth of the season behind you. I mean, that's it. I mean, that's it. When you think about it, that, that's, that, I mean, that, that's, a lot of, that, that's a great start if you can do it. So from that standpoint, getting out of the box quick, what is the key in your mind for the Mets to get out of the box quick? Uh, the, the key for them is that they're going to have to hit a ton. You know, they, they have said uh, that their lineup is solid from top to bottom, and I think it is, um, but uh, they can't afford to come out of the blocks uh, scoring two or three runs a game. They've got to come out and punish people. Their lineup, and I know they've always been a team that's uh, been pitching rich, and they've relied on their pitching, and they still um, are going to rely a lot on their starters. But um, they have a lineup that should really uh, score some runs. And if they do that, then I think they'll get off to a quick start. If they struggle offensively early, then I, I don't think they will. You know, 
people ask me who does it help good teams or bad teams, it clearly helps the inferior teams because yeah. over 162 games, your talent's going to show, your depth is going to show. The cream's going to come to the top. Over a hand, over a third of a season, which is really what this is, you know what? It You might not fire, uh, and somebody might get out 15-5 and five and look back. So I think it clearly helps the teams that aren't as talented. I think it helps the teams. Do you think it helps? Let me ask you one other one quick, though. Do you think it helps the younger team or the older team? I think it helps the uh, the younger team because I think sometimes just energy alone, Mike, uh, to be able to come back uh, and play. I mean, it's going to be, what, 60 games in 66 days? So um, there's, there's no, not going to be any rest uh, for these guys. So the, uh, I think uh, you're going to have a surprise, a young team that's, that's going to get out there. Second, I think that, um, you know, as far as uh, – jumping out and, and getting out there. Um, a lot of it has to do with the schedule, too. You know, the, the Mets have to play the Yankees, the Rays, the Red Sox. That doesn't help uh, a lot. You know, so it depends a lot uh, on your divisions. If you're playing uh, in the Central, uh, you might have a little easy go of it occasionally when you have to face That's really fight. unfair for the Mets when you think about it. It really is. Yeah, is right? it, yeah, yes, yeah, because they, they do, the Red Sox aren't as good, but they still get hurt by dealing with the Rays, who you know are very good, and the Yankees, who could be exceptional. I mean, so that's that that that, that definitely hurts them. There's no I question. Mean, yeah, other than when the Mets face the O's and right. the Marlins, it'll be a toss-up every night, right? Absolutely, uh, and and do you? Th- if you had to design a pitching staff, would you want one with a deeper starting staff right now, or would you take one that had a really good deep bullpen with a major closer? I'd, I'd like two things. I'd like a a really deep bullpen with a uh, you know just a, a lock solid closer, but I'd also want a manager who knows knows how to use the bullpen. Um, I, I think that's going to be really Joe Girardi. Uh, that that come that came to mind. I talked to Met, uh, great bullpen, great, greatest edge he has. I think as a manager, is he's great with the bullpen. I, I totally agree. I talked to Tom McCarthy, who does the TV for Philadelphia, and I said they have one of the big advantages because Girardi is going to know exactly when to pull the trigger. And uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of managers that I think are going to still think this is a traditional kind of schedule. They're going to be hemming and hawing. He won't. He will go to that phone. He'll go to it often, and uh, he'll play every game like the seventh game. And I know, I know, I know. There's been some criticism in the past uh, for Joe saying, you know, he plays every game like the seventh game. Well, they they are like that in this schedule. Um, it, it really plays to his strength. One thing he never did, though, he never abused pitchers, though. Uh, and, you know, Torrey sometimes would ride a pitcher to him being tired. He'd ride yeah. the same guy. That was a fault of Joe's. It was not a fault of uh, Girardi's. The Girardi had other faults, but his fault, he was very good at never abusing his pitchers. Now, in this case, yeah, no. you might have to abuse your pitchers a little bit this year. Yeah, I, I think that you're going to have to ask um, – you know, your pitchers to get uh, more outs than they're used to early in a season, even though it's in July. I mean, you know, Batantis coming off an injury last year with the Mets, he might be asked to do what he did in his heyday with the Yankees, and that's get four or five outs um, in the course of a ball game. So, you know, it's kind of a, you know, I know it's cliche, but it really is all hands on deck. You know, if you're going to play, you've come, there's no excuse. You can't say, hey, we're starting late, we're only playing 60 games, whatever. You've got to be able to mentally get yourself in a place that this is the last two months of the season, and we've got to go 40 and 20. Somehow, some way, we've got to go 40 and 20. You think the players, I mean, I think the managers understand this. Do you think the players 
buy into this right now? Are they going to look at? You think they're going to look at it like that going into the season? Do you think that's something that has to be sold to them, or you think they understand that? Well, you, you hope they understand it, but uh, but I think the, those managers that have the ability to communicate with their players and give them little things that they can think about that get them in that right spot uh, to be grinding every day. The great players are going to grind it. You don't have to worry about those guys, but. You know, there are, are those guys that you have to really pull along with you. And uh, the, the managers that communicate uh, the best are the ones that are going to be able to have a full team effort. Um, utilization of guys in, in the pen. For, for, for some of the guys on the Mets who are versatile, yeah. do you see their roles changing this year? I, I see this, Mike, is that you have a two-game maximum to not be good. If you're not good for two games in a row, you're down at the bottom of the totem pole. So I think it's going to be really one of those scrums for these relievers to get to the top of the hill or the top man in that bullpen. And if you have two two bad games, you go to the bottom. And you so you don't get to work out your problems this year in the, in, in the games, that's for sure. You're going to have to work it out with a, a psychiatrist or a psychologist or someone. You're not going to be able to work it on the field or with your teammates. It's just there's too much on the line. How about riding players that are in slumps? Well, that's uh, that's something, uh, you know, if it's Bryce Harper or uh, Mike Trout or Yelich or guys like that. What about if, what if it's a guy that you don't know if he's getting old or not? You know, but one of those not, kind of guys, you know? Well, you're maybe like a Robinson Cano or someone like that. Yeah. I, 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 would, say, uh, I would say that um, you cannot uh, – you've got to let all your players know that you are um, the manager – you're in charge of getting this team to the postseason, and I hope no one takes anything personal because there's not, not going to be anything personal here. What we're going to do is we're going to get to the postseason, and we're going to get there with the players that are playing the best. So it's and a meritocracy this year. The 100% doesn't matter. You know how Mike has been in the past. A guy's making a certain amount of money. He's got to play. Yep. A guy's got a, a certain baseball. A reputation. Yep. Yep. Got to play. Uh, I think you're doing yourself and your team a disservice if you don't uh, play the hot hand. So it's a meritocracy. Do you think that, uh, does that mean these guys from now until the first game, do they have to train differently than they would for a normal spring training? No, I, I, I think that spring training is too long anyways, Mike. I think uh, uh, three weeks is So they can get ready. In your mind, they can be ready anyway. 100% they can get ready. You know, spring training has evolved because, you know, there's real money that is made in spring training. The, all the ballparks are sold out, and people love coming to the games and bringing their family down. But as far as getting ready for a season, if you're in shape when you come to, you know, to Yankee Stadium or City Field, uh, three weeks is plenty. All right, knowing what you know about the, the Mets and plugging them into this very, very different season, what are your expectations? Um, my expectations is that they're a postseason team. Uh, they're uh, a team that has a lineup now, um, you know, and I'm not even counting Cespedes as being 100% and, and being a DH all through the year, uh, the 60-game season. Uh, I think they have a lineup that, for the first time in quite some time, maybe since the 2006 team, uh, a, a lineup that can really score runs. And I think you're going to have to score runs because, uh, don't forget, you're not going to always be playing those National League East games where it's 3-1, to one, Four to two. Uh, you're going to be playing uh, the Yankees, uh, the Red Sox, the Rays, the high-scoring um, games. Yeah, you're going to have to slug. Yeah, and if you don't slug, you're going to be left behind. 
Very interesting. Ron, pleasure. Go ahead. It'd be interesting what ball they use. Because, you know, yeah, I, I don't think they'll use the Super Bowl again this year. I don't think they oh. will. Okay, good. Good. I hope not. That's what I think. Now, listen, I think it'll be more the postseason ball last year, which clearly they changed the ball for the postseason. Everybody said it. Anyone you talked to said the ball that was going out in the regular season was not the same ball in the postseason. Everyone was saying it. So maybe they found a happy medium with the ball this year. I don't think they go to the Super Bowl this year. Maybe I'm wrong, but maybe, you know, I don't know. Maybe they think it's box office. They want to go to the Super Bowl. You never know. Hey. Hey, we'll have this conversation a week into the season. I'll tell you whether, which one they're using. All right, Ron, pleasure. I hope you're doing well. Uh, take care. We'll, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Ron Darling, back after that. All right, we're back. Let me, uh, before I take a couple calls, let me get to the uh, switch hitters for today. For Bernie, it was 626-93. This is before Bernie has really established himself. You know, he's batting leadoff, went three for five, 31 RBIs, hitting 250. And remember, he had not really started to come of age yet. He hadn't shown any power yet. Uh, He hadn't started to hit the home run yet. That started to come a little bit in 93, came a little bit more in 94, and then 95, boom. Uh, It really, it started to come a little bit at the end of 94. He got his average up to 290. Uh, He, you know, remember that was a year that wasn't a full year. The next year he started to explode, and then came the great years, you know, 96, 97, 98, 99, 2000, all those great years. Uh, For Mickey, this was 61, so this is Eminem boys. Uh, They beat the Angels. It was 626. He had his 23rd homer off. Uh, Ken McBride, you might remember Ken McBride. the Yankees were rolling. 23 homers, 58 RBIs, 311 batting average, hit 436 on base percentage as he went to his great year in 50, uh, in 61 where he hit 54 home runs. Uh, and he and Maris, you know, chased the Bambino deep, deep into the summer, uh, only to have Mickey abscess his hip and then pull out and then Roger obviously go after it to the final days of the season. But at this point, he had 23 homers on this June 26th and already 58 RBIs. It's a heck of a first half, huh? 23 home runs in the first half of the season. Uh, big year, obviously, for him. All right, let me get to a couple calls here. Uh, Andrew and Scarsdale. Eddie and Sweeney coming up at 7 o'clock tonight. Andrew, what's up? Hey, Mike, you and Ron kind of touched on uh, how pitches are going to be handled. Uh, my question to you is specifically around Garrett Cole. The Yankees have a lot of money, a lot of years invested in him. Do they – I don't want to say – babysit him, but do they treat him a little differently Absolutely given not. the abnormality of this season? Absolutely not. Do they just let him go? First of all, this is a pitcher that you know is extremely studious, okay? He is a thinking man's pitcher. If you've ever listened to him, he's almost arrogant about about talking about pitching. Uh, he is a thinking man's pitcher. He has a plan that is clearly his. He understands what he's doing. I expect him to be extremely dominant. I will be very surprised if he's not. I think he will be among the most dominant pitchers in the sport. I think it'll be. Uh, I think he will have an enormous year, even in the abbreviated season. I think he will be one of the big figures, and I think he will have a, a tremendous season. I'd be very shocked if he doesn't. I think uh, he will have a team behind him that will produce runs, a team behind him that will let him pitch very daring and, and very aggressively because of who he is and, and the kind of offense he has behind him. Uh, I think he will uh, have a very big season. I do not think they will baby... I don't think they will baby any of these starters. And these teams know what these teams are going to want to do is they're going to want to get off to... The the really good teams are going to want to get off to very fast starts. Put this at a question early, where it's not even an issue. Let's get 10 games over 500. What I would tell the team like the Yankees or the Dodgers is, listen, 
we're getting 10 games over 500 immediately, okay? We are going to race out. We're going to get 10 games over 500, and then we never look back. And that's it. I want to get 10 games over 500 as fast as – I want to get to it as fast as I can, which is 10-0, and 11-1, 12-2. I want to be – before we hit the 15-5, and 5, I want to be 10 games over 500. That's how I would approach the season. I would be very aggressive early. Ron said the same thing. That's how I would play it. When you're playing a very short season, getting out fast is an enormous – Enormous advantage. Justin in West Palm Beach. What's up, Justin? Hey, Mike. Thanks for taking the call. I got yeah. a, a comment and a question on the PGA. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much young talent. It's really amazing. If you're a golf fan and, and you're watching this, it's the superstars that you see, you know, the budding ones, too. It's really incredible. One guy stands above the rest of me. It's Dustin Johnson. If he were able to make more putts than he does, he would by far the best in the world. Tomorrow. Yeah, but we're living with the... See, he and Rory play the same tune, okay? If you watch both of them play, and you've watched them now for a long time, Dustin Johnson's had a rare career in that his numbers... If you look at his career, he's had a successful career. He's won a tournament in 12 straight years. He has uh, been to the top of the polls many times. But here's the thing. He has not gotten to the tip of the iceberg of his talent. His talent is immense, but he and Rory do the same thing. They are brilliant drivers of the golf ball. They even are very good with their irons. What they're not good with is the putter, and they both miss so many birdie opportunities and eagle opportunities that it drives you mad if you watch either one of them. But this is not new to them. This is not something that's going to change now. This is something that is ingrained in their game and will be ingrained in their game for a long time. It rarely changes where one of these guys, see the great player, the Tiger to Jack, what people don't realize about them is that they're great clutch putters. And you have to be, if you're going to be an immortal player, you have to be a clutch putter. And they're not clutch putters. They're not even good putters. They're bad putters. And right, they, agree. and that's the difference. And you're going to watch, if you watch Dustin Johnson play on a given round, he will infuriate you because he will, on a given round, give away six, seven strokes on the green. There's no question. Easily. 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 And, and, and I, I've seen Rory give away tournaments. The same way. They're both immensely talented. And now Kepka is in the same game as the two of them. But what makes Kepka better is in big spots when he's, when he's on his game, majors, because Kepka doesn't, he makes the putts. And that's why he's the best player right now, because he can drive it with Rory. He can drive it with Dustin, but he can also make the putt. And that's the difference. And you watch those guys. Now, I don't know if DeChambeau is going to drive it with those guys this year with the added distance he has and the club head speed. I want to see what happens to his game when he gets in tight. But that's the key. And what you said first thing is so true. There are so many good young players out there now of, I mean, any age. When you're talking about Shoffley, Cantley, Murakawa, I mean, Berger, uh, go down the line. There's like 30 of them. I mean, there's so, and I didn't even get to Thomas and guys like that. I mean, what's happened is, let's be honest, a guy who people have been waiting for explo- to explode like Ricky Fowler may never explode. He he's getting passed by by the younger players now, and he's the guy now that you're forgetting about because he can't because he can't put everything together. Now he can putt, 
His game's more erratic because he can putt. He's got a great putting stroke. He's got a great he, – he controls. And the key to being a good putter is control the speed. That is the – without question, you talk to any great putter, they'll tell you the key is controlling the speed of the putt. That is without question the, 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 what great putters do. And uh, Fowler's a terrific putter. But the rest of his game is highly erratic. Speed's game. Incredibly erratic off the tee. Incredibly erratic. Uh, so it's very few of them that have the game tee the green together. Uh, but you mentioned two guys, and you could not be more right. Those two guys, and especially Johnson, and I'll put McElroy right in there with them. Those two guys, they throw away, and thanks for the call, they throw away tournaments with both hands because they can't make putts. Frank and New Rochelle, what's up, Frank? Hey, Mike, how are you? You know, the Knicks uh, with these 11 people on the back page of the post, I know it's a bunch of garbage, but I really think for this team, and I know Thibodeau's going to get the job, at least that's every report that you read, but I really think Atkinson would be the better coach. This is a young team. He had the Nets when they were young. They lost 60. I remember watching them when they lost 60, but he plays the NBA style. They run I like him a lot. He develops players. He's a good coach. I know him a very long time. Uh, you've heard him on the I, air with me. Do you think I he mean, has any chance, Mike? I don't do think they'll hire. I, I don't think they'll hire the net coach. So I don't think yeah, he'll get the job. I, I don't think he'll get the yeah. job. I like him personally a lot. I've known him since he was in high school. So I've known him a yeah. very long time. Okay, uh, he and he's a and he develops players and he's a very good coach. Very good coach. Now, uh, I, love, and, um, I love Thibodeau, but you know, listen, no Thibodeau's a good coach. Thibodeau's a Thibodeau's a good coach. There's no question. And listen, oh, none no of doubt. them, and none, and thanks for the call. None of them are going to win. None of them are going to win without players. So it doesn't matter who you put in there; they're not going to win. There's plenty of quality coaches on that list. And Atkinson's a really good coach. I don't think the Nets, I don't think the Knicks are going to hire an ex-Net. I don't think they are. I don't think they'll get the job. I think Thibodeau's the favorite. I don't know that he's got the job. But I think he's the favorite. Let me squeeze one more in before I get to Eddie and Sweeney. Uh, Flip in Long Island. What's up, Flip? Hey, Mike, it's spot on with uh, Dustin Johnson and, and McElroy, especially Dustin Johnson. He simply just he can't putt, and he, he, can't, can't, putt. he can't handle the big moment at all. He just can't putt. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not like he's choking. He'll choke on any putt. He won't just choke on big putts. He'll choke on any putt. Yes, and I want to make a point about Mickelson. I know you said he can't carry four, four I don't days, think right? he can, and I'll root for him but, like crazy. I'm telling you, I love him. I know Mike, him fairly well. I love question, him uh, personally. I just, don't think, I, I just don't think he can do it four days I in a row. but one question, though. If there's any guy at 50, looking at the last 20 years on the PGA Tour, one guy at 50 that actually could pull off a major at 50, who would it be? Anybody. Who? Uh, well, we saw Tom Watson almost do it at 60. No, but I'm saying over the last 10, 15, 20 years. Oh, are you saying can Phil years, do it? I Listen, I think the Phil, I think the out, problem now, do it. Well, I think the problem now is consistency. So let's see. Phil hasn't had that one moment, which he has in every tournament now. And he didn't have it the first two days. Mike, okay. going to have. You know he's going to have one time in the next five years it's that good. he's going to get a major. Listen, I, 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 I personally think the way the tournaments are, the way the majors now are structured as far as layout, I think his problem controlling the drive 
will make it hard for him to win a major. And I listen, I would pray he would win a U.S. Open. I, I, I know he's qualified now. They let, they, he, got a, he got in so he doesn't have to qualify, which is great. He got an exemption into the tournament. He belongs there anyway. So I think that's great. I'll be rooting for him. Listen, I root for him every, all, whenever he plays. I root yeah, for him. I'm, but I'm uh, but I, I honestly, if you're asking me right now, and thanks for the call, if you're asking me right now, do I think he will win this tournament this week? I don't. I'll root for him. But I think something will happen in the next two days and he won't win. Somebody will catch him. And I'll root for him. Every step of the way, I'll root for him. I'm telling you, I, I, I will be thrilled to watch him tomorrow. I'm thrilled what he did the first two days. I just don't expect him these days to put four rounds together. And if you're asking me right now, do I think he'll win another major? I don't. I hope he does. And I hope it's the U.S. Open. I just don't think he will. Because I just think it's really hard on those courses to put together four good days in your 50s. It's not easy. And with him, it's about losing the driver on those great courses and those tough courses. Because he'll lose accuracy. He can drive it far. He can hit it a mile. He's got great club head speed, and he's kept himself in phenomenal shape. He doesn't act like he's 50, and he hits it a mile. But he just loses accuracy and consistency with that driver. And that becomes very tough to scramble on all those courses. Now, this course you won't have to scramble much on. This is an easy course. So I, I, I just think there'll come a moment where he'll just get erratic for four or five holes here. I hope it doesn't happen. I'll, like I said, I'll be pulling for him. Uh, Casamigos Tequila, as always, brings you the program, brought to you by those who drink it. I uh, hope everybody has a very uh, happy and uh, safe weekend. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.